morning, everyone. May wait just a second to get started. Uh, we'll see. What does it look like outside? Do we have uh, people gathered all around the door, or uh, this is pretty much? Oh, okay. <laughs> Got a little, uh, <clears throat> a little bit of fellowship going on out there. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and get started, and uh, let me do that by going to the Lord in prayer this morning. So uh, let's, if you would join me, we will, we will pray. Gracious Father, thank you for your kindness to bring us once again together this morning. Thank you that we can be here with, uh, with the fellow believers, the fellow saints, those who are fellow citizens of your household, those who have been uh, shown the grace that is in Jesus Christ through the forgiveness of sins as you have so kindly given him for us. And we just thank you that you have done that. We thank you that you have given us each other. We thank you that you have given us your word. And we praise you for who you are. And we look forward as we begin this next series to being able to recognize you as the one who is the sovereign one, the one who is the great one who is above all things, the one who is worthy of our praise, uh, the one who, who we uh, should be uh, eager to conform to in every way. And we pray you'd help us to understand you better and how we ought to respond to you uh, through this study. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we want to uh, begin talking this morning on the subject of the government and the Christian life. So I thought that it would be good to stay away from any kind of controversial or disputed subjects. Therefore, here we are. That is, of course, something of a joke. Uh, this is... Uh, quite the disputed topic in many, many ways, and that's not just true among believers. Uh, in fact, it may be even more so true among those who are outside the faith. But nonetheless, it is somewhat controversial, difficult, and there are certain matters that we want to unpack, and we're going to spend some time going through some of those things, maybe not all of them, but hopefully give you some principles to operate with as you think about what you uh, how you relate to and how you think about the government uh, authorities that have been ordained over you and that you, that you live and move under. Um, I was asked a week or two ago by a family member, how often, Greg, do you think about the Roman government? Anybody heard that question before? Yeah. Where, where, where does that question come from? I didn't know at first. They were just asking me. And I said, well, you know, I think about the Roman government quite a bit because, you know, I'm preaching through the gospel of Luke. And Luke's, you know, it's early on in the gospel, Tiberius Caesar. And he's talking about all of these different people. So, yeah, like I probably think about it all the time. And I thought that I would be the exception to the rule. But as it turns out, that's not necessarily the case, especially among who? Men. Yes, as it turns out, men um, think about the Roman Empire quite a bit more than women do. And this has been, uh, this has been revealed by a recent uh, TikTok trend where people will ask uh, others, I think it's women asking men, how often do you think about the Roman government? Now, I say it's a recent TikTok trend. It's probably already gone, and I'm behind the times for even mentioning it right now. But nonetheless, this has been a question going around. How often do you think about this? And uh, so, yes, yeah, very interesting that the Roman Empire is the subject of the thoughts of many men at a disproportionately high rate. Now, why is that the case? 
we could go into all the details and we could speculate. There's probably some research about it. But nonetheless, uh, it seems to be true, at least on some large anecdotal scale. Um, so that then relates to another question that I want to ask you. How much and how often do you think about your government? What would you say? If you had to think about how often you think about your government, what would, you be? What would it be frequency-wise? Okay, almost more than you think about God, okay? Yeah, I appreciate the honesty, yes, Tracy. Oh, you're, oh, okay, okay. Right. Yeah, so you think there's reasons why you think about the Roman government more, yeah, yeah, okay. What else? How often do you think about the United States or the state of Tennessee or the county or of Knox or the city of Knoxville government? A lot? A little? More than you want? Less than you want? Just the right amount? Uh, I'd say many people today think about government quite a bit. Christians think about government um, quite a bit. And why is that the case? What are the various influences or the driving factors that would cause you to think often, uh, maybe even involuntarily often, about the government. What's driving that? Yeah, Mark. Okay, so there's, there's certain ways where government has come into conflict with what God likes, with what pleases God. You say, okay, how do I, how do I sort through this? And you're just kind of forced to think about it more than maybe in, in other times and places. Yeah, sure. What else? What else? Patrick? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, good, good government is um, in many ways invisible. Uh, as, is, as you say, good almost anything is often invisible. If they're doing it right, you don't even think about it uh, in a lot of ways. So, yeah, it, it really does. If you're finding fault with, uh, with it, it is a lot easier to think about it a lot. Yeah. Why else do we think about it? Why do we have the government on our minds? Yeah, so it does. It, it will, there are a lot of ways it can affect you very much. You know, oh, these new laws were passed. The tax rates were changed. Uh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, what's, what's going to become of this? What am I going to have to do differently? Am I going to have to figure out how to navigate this thing where they're telling me to do something against the Bible? How do I, how do I deal with that? So there's a lot of things like that. Yeah, good. Anything else? Why do we think about it? Yeah, Jonathan. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. Uh, government is involved in many ways in the things that we buy, but, in, you know, tax with everything, and then uh, regulations and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, good. Anything else? Yeah, Jillian. Yeah, it can be, yeah, all the time. In all the places that you might go to learn about anything else that's current, the government's going to be in that. And it's probably going to be you know, above the fold, or at least it's going to be front page stuff of some way or another. Front page, for those of you that are like younger than me, what that means is there's this thing called a newspaper, and they put stuff on the front page. It's not just the top of the website or the first alert or notification. Uh, it's what they say is the most important, and maybe not what they would actually say is objectively the most important, but it's the stuff that's meant to grab your attention and to get you reading. Um, government has a way of doing that as well. Um, and I do want to think about some of these things. And, and the reason why I want to think about why we care about this stuff is because it does reveal the kinds of things that we want to sort through, uh, among many other things. It reveals the kind of uh, things that are going on in our heart that drive us to either care at a certain amount or to care in certain ways or to think in certain ways about the government and about our relationship to it and about its involvement in our lives. So um, I do want to spend a little bit more time just considering some of that. Um, why do people who are not Christians care about the government? They have different reasons than the Bible, obviously. So why do they care so much on in many cases, about the government. Yeah, Mark. Okay, what can I get? Yeah, so government is the means by which they can get certain things that they like or that they need. Yeah, okay, so good. What can I get out of the government? Mm -hmm. What else? Yeah, so the way that they influence others to change is not necessarily just direct only. It's not persuasion. It's not their own authority because maybe they can't pull that off. Uh, but it is, if I can enlist the services of something that does have authority, I'm going to be able to change things. Yeah, and they think that there are certain things that aren't the way that they ought to be. Maybe wages, you know, the minimum wage needs to be raised. Maybe there are certain laws about uh, marriage and the nature of what marriage is. Maybe there's, uh, I mean, you, you could probably think through other things, but that's the kind of thing that people will use government as a, a force to do. Yeah. Uh, why else do unbelieving people care about the government? Any other reasons that you can think of? Yeah, Hannah. Yeah, absolutely. So even unbelievers recognize there are things that should and shouldn't be done to yeah, prevent society from going crazy. And this is, this is stated in Romans 2. It says when Gentiles who don't have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these 
uh, not having the law are a law to themselves. They show the work of the law written in their hearts. Now, that's primarily talking about God's moral standard, even on an individual level, but it's reflected in a societal level, too, where people recognize, you know, whether I think God exists even or not, it would probably be good to have laws against murder on some level or against theft on some level, although um, the enforcement of those things or even the degree to which those things are are there is, um, in many cases, even under question as well in those circles, but... There are reasons why that are generally good. Okay, we recognize that there is such a thing as right and wrong, and we don't want to be wronged, and we don't want other people to be wrong. There are things that because we're made in God's image and because God has given us consciences and because there are sort of uh, vestigial effects of Christendom in various parts of the world that we have this sort of mix uh, in different places of reasons why unbelieving people who don't really care about the Bible, at least don't know that they are getting their principles from the Bible, think that government should exist and should do certain things in terms of moral restraint and other things like that. Um, I would say as well, um, government gives easy opportunities for fault finding and complaining. Patrick kind of mentioned this as well. But, you know, when, when the heart is full of complaining and discontentment rather than thankfulness, there are few better outlets than thinking about and talking about the government because there are plenty of things that people do wrong. There are plenty of people who are in it for bad motives um, and it doesn't necessarily produce, uh, you know, in order to get there, the highest character kinds of individuals based upon the process that's there. And when they get into a position of power, then they have the means to actually misuse that and to act according to their corruption in ways that maybe are a little bit more evident than people who aren't there. So, yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot to find fault with about government. And that's not just something that we make up or something that we dis, uh, distortedly see. Uh, that's, that's a reality. There are things that, are, uh, that have the potential to complain about. Now, whether Christians should complain about those things is another matter. And uh, we should consider that as we go along. That's why unbelievers care about government. What about Christians? Why do Christians care about government? And I'm not saying why should we care. Just at this moment, why do we care as Christians about the government? Okay. Yeah, so we care about widows and orphans, basically people that can't look out for themselves. They're defenseless, they're helpless, uh, and government is, as you said, the most powerful entity as far as doing that on a, on a wide scale, I would say, in particular, that uh, making sure that those, those people are not taken advantage of and that they are, that they are helped out. Um, yeah, so that's one reason. Okay. Yeah, Josh. We are under some form of government, no matter where we live. Yep, that's right. Okay, what else? Patrick. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and if we can see what they're doing wrong, then we can kind of ignore our own 
our own faults, right? It's, it's really easy to do that. And that's, that's what makes it such a great spectator sport, isn't it? That, you know, if you can just look at, hey, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, then that excuses, uh, that excuses us from at least having to think about it. Now, if we get right down to it, we know that that's not true. But it is an easy distraction. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a way to make change or to try to make change that doesn't necessarily cost you anything on a, like, on a heart level. Um, it might cost time and energy. You might have to even do some, you know, political rallying if you want to really get involved in politics and things. But it doesn't actually require you in making those changes to deal with your own sanctification, your own heart, um, or as an unbeliever, your own state before God. So, yes. Why else do Christians care about government? Good reasons, bad reasons, whatever. Daniel. Yeah, it's always there, always on the phone, popping up. It's just, it's just constant. Things come. I don't know. Do you guys get, like, the text messages, the fundraising kind of stuff and all that? Okay, yeah. Thankfully, I've been able to avoid most of those. But um, I, I know that those are a thing, probably going to be more of a thing over the next year or so leading into election time. I don't know. Uh, yeah, why else do we think about it? Yeah, yeah, it's got its tentacles in a, a lot of stuff, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, there, there are other reasons. I mean, obviously, besides the fact government impacts our lives, uh, Scripture does speak a lot about it. So there are reasons why Christians want to say, let's get this right. Let's understand what the Bible says about this. Let's have a biblical perspective on this. And sometimes it's fully biblical. Other times we pick and choose our favorites. But either way, Scripture does speak about it. And so it is going to be easy to make that on our mind. If Scripture never talked about something, then maybe in reading through the Bible you wouldn't think about it. Or it wouldn't be as easy to grab onto. But Scripture does talk a lot about government. Um, I would say as well, government and politics in particular, is a major source of controversy. And if we're thinking rightly, we want to understand what the Bible actually says uh, correctly. And we want to understand where we should stand on these controversies. And we want to be able to do that in part, not only to obey God, but also to strive for unity with other believers where we have different uh, opinions and preferences about the implementation of governmental policy and governmental structure and governmental activity. Uh, it is a very uh, large potential divisive um, entity or concept in the church when people have not only differing political views on some matter, but the way that they handle that is also a big deal as well. So where there is a direct issue of scripture saying something and we can all agree on the interpretation of that and the application to a situation is very clear and obviously for good reasons agreed upon, then that's one thing. Uh, where there are other ways where we think something is best, then we need to recognize the distinction there and we need to make sure that we understand the difference between our own preferred way of implementing something and then what, on the other hand, everyone must do. So we need to have wisdom in exercising those things. That's part of what we want to do in going through this is see what does the Bible actually require of us versus what are some things where we look at it and we say, you know, I think that would be best. And here's how I would do that. Or here's how if I were doing, uh, if I were in charge of the government, how I would set it up. Or here's how I expect God to do this one day when Christ returns. And that we're able to distinguish those things and not cause 
uh, not cause trouble within the body of Christ because we bring our own preferences into the realm of biblical authority. Um, what are some things as we get started before we jump into this morning's uh, main theme? What do Christians want to know about government and the Bible? What are the things that as you, as you think about scripture and the Bible, what are some of the questions that you have? What are some of the things that you want to understand what it says? Is there anything like that? I know that's a uh, maybe not a good question because we all already have that stuff down. But what, what kind of questions do you have or what would you like to know as you're studying the Bible and government? I see Daniel. Yeah, so what's, what are the permissible, permissible levels of, uh, of disagreement? When do, you, when do you just split in some way from somebody else? When do you bring it to an elder? When do you bring it to someone else? Yeah, good. good. Uh, that's a good thought. Michael. Yeah, yeah, what would we do if we had all the power in the world to implement biblical government? What would that, what would that look like? Um, and how do we think about that? There are some who would argue that God has actually given us what we should do. Uh, I would disagree with those people. I would say that there is not just a, a ready-made set of laws that, is, that we can transport over into the United States of America in the year 2023 with a bunch of people who aren't the nation of Israel. Okay, so I would argue against that kind of idea, but we do want to grapple with that too as well. But yeah, yeah, good points. Uh, anything else? When you go to the Bible, what do you want to know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, Christian nationalism is a, a word that's thrown out there right now. Um, what do we do when we have the opportunity to be involved in government in the way that maybe some other people don't? Uh, and that is really one of the questions that I want to run in your mind throughout this whole thing. Uh, 
which is it's when there is some degree of ability that Christians have to do something about the government. And I don't just mean in terms of responding to it with submission, but where there is the opportunity for Christians to influence or to determine uh, or to even be involved in the governing process, uh, what is the way in which we should do that and what is the degree to which we should do that? And that's a question that I think we often assume the answer to or we kind of just start acting and then we justify our answer later on. And that's one of the things that we want to cover as we, uh, as we get toward the I mean, as we move on uh, toward the, maybe the middle part and the end part of this, uh, of this series. Uh, I want to lay out some foundational principles first so that we understand these things. But a lot of the controversy today has to do with that question. Uh, to what degree and in what way should Christians be involved in trying to influence what the government does? That really is a large part of the question. So I just want to think about that and maybe you can be uh, brainstorming that as you go along. What does the Bible say about that? Does it say anything about that? Does it give us guidance? Does it give us examples? Uh, are the examples binding? Are the examples for certain settings at certain times? Just think through all of those things and we'll come back and we will uh, explore some of that as we go along. So yeah, those are good questions and good things that we want to cover. Uh, I would like this morning just to then spend a little bit of time talking about the, the, uh, the general idea that we need to keep in mind as we go through things that God is in control of the government. God is in control of the government. And there are a lot of caveats that I want to give to that because I know that there may be instant objections and well, if he's in charge of government, why is this happening? Or is he, does that make it okay? No, it doesn't always make it okay. No, he's not pleased by everything governments do, but God is in control of governments. And so the, uh, the main point of the rest of the morning is to observe and to consider God's sovereignty in establishing and ruling human governments. God's sovereignty in establishing and ruling human governments. Uh, God approves, first of all, of government as a general concept. A general concept. And we need to acknowledge this. Uh, some of you may not like that. I don't know. I mean, I don't think we have anybody who full-on would say we shouldn't have any government. I'm reminded of a bumper sticker that I once saw from someone who I presume to be an anarchist who, uh, whose bumper sticker said, there's no government like no government. And I thought that was uh, an appropriate way of thinking about that. Maybe he should go visit somewhere that has no government and see how that actually works out. But you understand the sentiment in some ways. All the things that the government does that are not what they ought to do, you say, well, why do we even have this thing in the first place? And in many cases, you think it would be better to have none at all. There was a former president who uh, uttered the words, said that maybe the scariest words in the English language are, I'm from, I'm here from the government and I am here to help. Uh, and that, of course, is because the government often has problems or they often have uh, things that they want to do to help you that you may not like. But um, God does approve of government in general, even if we don't always like the fact that government exists, even if it gets in our way in certain ways, at least we perceive it to. Uh, it does at times make our life more difficult. If we read 1 Kings chapter 8, or excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 8, we'll see that when Saul, uh, when the people cried out for a king before King Saul was appointed, God told Samuel, look, you need to let him know. This is what the king is going to do. 
He's going to take your sons and your daughters and make them do all this stuff. He's going to enlist them as soldiers. He's going to make them work. He's going to tax you. There are going to be things that the government does that you're not going to like. Are you sure you want this? Although by that point it was already too late. Uh, Government does bring burdens upon our lives. Hopefully it brings blessings. Often those blessings are not commensurate with the burdens that that it lays upon us. But nonetheless... Uh, there are blessings that the government can bring. So despite the fact that we don't necessarily love it and despite the fact that we can talk bad about it and find out all kinds of problems, um, we hopefully can say that the government is not all bad, that government can do good things. What kinds of things have you seen happen where the government does not do what you perceive to be its job? Can you tell me any observations, any of that going on in your lives or in the world? When the government does not do what the government should do. What does that look like? Daniel. Okay. So government's just invading other countries in the world. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Brian. Okay. Yeah, so from the basic maintenance of this to here's, we have a sovereign border, and uh, what are you going to do about it? Okay. What about, uh, what about um, stores having to take matters into their own hands and lock everything up that's in the store? Is that an ideal situation to prevent people from, from stealing things? Maybe you say, well, that's what they need to do anyway, or we should be careful like that. But um, some would say that that's because government is not carrying out the enforcement of the laws that they have on the books and you can see that it can cause additional burdens on other people there are things like that Uh, so the absence of making people who are breaking the law uh, incentivizing them not to do that anymore is a problem so uh, government is supposed to punish evil and praise those who do right that's one of its functions that's not as some would say its exclusive function But it is one of its functions, according to such places as Romans 13. So when it's not there to do that, when it's not actually carrying that out, then it creates a vacuum. It creates problems. Uh, Government is meant to help us with those things. And there are things that it is uniquely equipped to do. And so we hope that in those cases, uh, it is is doing that. Um, Anything else that the government does that can be good? Is there any helpful thing about government? Man, nobody immediately puts their hand up. That's, that's kind of scary. Okay. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, we may complain about, well, we could have done it faster, or why is this project not ongoing, or, you know, when, of course, we don't know that that's true or not. But even if it is... That, they are out there. We probably all drove to, you know, the, here this morning on roads that were not built privately. There, these were these are government projects. Yeah, Kirsten. Libraries. Yes, great. Public service of the libraries. Yeah, Kaylee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so lots, there, there are such things as good laws and laws that 
uh, that align with what God has said. Yeah, Brian. Yeah, absolutely. A, a legal system, in particular, a judicial branch, a judicial system where people can take their uh, they can take their cases to court, both on a, a criminal level for protection for for uh, justice, and then also in, in civil matters where you can't resolve something. Yeah, and, I mean, we always are are um, telling our kids, you know, if you have a problem with somebody and you can't get what you want the way that you know by persuading them or by uh, asking them you don't get to just shove them or hit them or you know do something to them or take vengeance you don't, you don't get to make them do something there's an authority in place to to appeal to to make that happen in this case you know when it's your siblings you come to your parents and the reason why you don't come to your parents is maybe because you don't want to submit to that authority's judgment and a lot of times that's why we take matters into our own hands as well but what would you do without that what would you do if you were in a school classroom full of kids and the only recourse you had against someone who was bullying you was to try to just get stronger than the bully? What if that was the case? Wouldn't it be great instead to have a teacher that you can go to who could do something about it? And same thing is true when it comes to government, to have the authority in place to make these kinds of judgments and decisions and to have the ability to actually carry those out and implement those things. Now, are they going to do that perfectly? Of course not. Um, but they do that, and they do that well on many occasions. So, yes, uh, that's a great thing that government provides. Anything else? Other benefits to government? <laughs> And so there's no, and I, I understand, it's, it's, I'm sure you do, that there are all kinds of people who have all kinds of opinions across the map about, about the motives and the efficacy and all that kind of stuff. I, I acknowledge that I recognize the opinions, but the fact that someone could do that and could meet a perceived need and could do something about it on that scale is a huge blessing, right? So uh, there are things that government can do that no one else can do. I mean, it's just the way that it is. So yeah, it's, it's awesome to have that in place. Yeah, good. Anything else? Yeah, that, yeah, that kind of thing. So playgrounds, parks, greenways, you name it. Yeah, those kinds of things. And it, it's great that you have someone uh, who can do that. Um, building codes, which I'm sure are obnoxious for those who are involved in construction in some way, but nonetheless, they, uh, they're looking out for the safety of uh, individuals. Again, I understand there may be other reasons why that any certain laws exist. I want to acknowledge just even up front while I'm thinking about that, not so much pertaining to that, but um, I, 
I know that many of you are, if you're not thinking this right now, you have thought this in the past, that certain laws are passed because they may look like one thing on the surface and they may seem like they're benefiting people, but they're really uh, actually making it easier for certain people that they favor to get ahead of others. And it doesn't necessarily look like that on the surface. I understand that there are some possibilities of that. I understand that anything that's done by government can be done with bad motives, can be done for politicking, can be done for staying in office. We still want to recognize where there are things that are blessings and benefits and, that, and not just to immediately and only be skeptical about the reason why anybody does anything. So, yes, Josh. Checks and balances. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it is nice to have with, uh, with imperfect rulers in particular, that's very nice to have because there will come a day, as I'll mention here at the end of this lesson, I hope, where uh, all of the branches of government will be bound up in one individual person, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the law will come from him and he will judge righteously and he will be the one who executes the law as well. So he's, he's all three branches of government. In a world where Jesus Christ is not that person, it's nice to have some checks and balances. So, yes. Yeah, Michael. Yeah, so, there are, so the blessings of bureaucracy, yeah, yeah, it can, it can make things more difficult, it can make positive change in some ways more difficult, but it can also make uh, negative change more difficult. So yes, we should be thankful for the blessings that are involved in that as well. And, and hopefully through all of this, this is an attitude that we're cultivating, thankfulness when rulers do what is good. And then even, you know, to go back to what Patrick was saying earlier, there, when, it, when it is going well, we don't notice it. The things that are good, we're often very quick to just skip over, take for granted, and then to complain about the things that are not there. And that's not just true in government. That's true in all areas of life. So uh, hopefully this will also help you to be thankful for the many, many good things that exist in our lives because of government without, uh, without trying to deny or ignore the things that we would like to see change. And then we'll consider what we should do uh, about that according to biblical requirements and then according to biblical wisdom. So God approves of government as a general concept. Um, let me, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I'm getting there on the very next point, actually, because he also ordains specific governments. But what I mean is that he, or, he doesn't just say government is bad. He doesn't just say that government is something that should not exist. But he, by virtue of, um, of encouraging things like obedience, by saying that he's established things, that, um, that he, um, he is uh, not necessarily displeased by the existence of government. That it's something that has his stamp of approval, if you will. Um, 
And so I hope maybe that falls a little bit more under the fact by, of an, one of the implications of him establishing certain governments. But there's more involved as well in that. So, yeah. Um, so uh, God does then ordain specific governments. And uh, a couple of key passages that we're going to consider that I want to just read for you this morning. And then we'll go back to look at the specifics of this. Uh, God ordains specific governments. First Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God honor the king. So first of all, this idea that uh, fearing God and honoring the king are not at odds with one another. So 1 Peter 2.17 tells us that. Um, Romans 13 in particular speaks explicitly on this idea that government, not just government in general, but governments, uh, each individual one, are ordained by God and established by God. And it says this in verse 1, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Now, you may look at this and say immediately to yourself, all of the exceptions and the reasons why that we shouldn't obey government in certain circumstances, and that's immediately where the focus goes. And I understand why that would be the case. But before we can even do that, we have to say that the guiding principle, the overall principle is God establishes government authorities. And not just in general, but in particular, that he establishes specific governing authorities. Those which exist are established by God. So any governing authority, and in this case, he's writing to people who would have been in Rome under the authority of the thing we were talking about earlier, the Roman Empire. How often do you think they thought about the Roman Empire? They probably thought about it quite a bit. Those uh, who were in Rome under the authority of Caesar, and they were part of this Roman Empire. So they, uh, they would have been under a government that was, in many ways, um, a lot more, um, I shouldn't say centralized, but uh, they had a lot less recourse in what to do about that government and changing it even than we did. Here he says, submit to that authority because God has established it. Not just because doing so or failure to do so will get you in trouble. Not just because it's going to look bad, but fundamentally because God is the one who has put that there. And we need to respect that. Otherwise, we are going against God's ordinance. Um, God raises up and brings down specific human leaders. Can you think of any that the Bible tells us about? Not just governments in general, but specific human leaders who are raised up and brought down. Yeah, Kirsten. Nebuchadnezzar, that's right. Nebuchadnezzar. God says, I raised you up, and then he humbled himself, or he humbled Nebuchadnezzar, and then he brought him back into, into power. Yeah, Chad. Mm -hmm. Saul. Yeah, Saul was selected in this way. He was appointed as king, and then God removed him. Sovereignty has been taken away from you, he says. First Samuel 15. Yeah, Daniel. Jeroboam. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Jeroboam, okay, there's, there's a lot out there, right, that we could think about. Yeah, Aaron. 
Yeah. Yeah, before he even was alive, right? Cyrus, yeah. Isaiah 45, is it? Uh, he says, you're going to come and you're going to do my bidding. He calls him his servant. Is he his eager, willing servant? No, that wasn't what he desired. That wasn't his intention. And you got, God used him for that. He speaks in... Um, I think it is in Isaiah as well about, uh, about Babylon coming upon Israel and they, uh, they're boasting and they're thinking of themselves in this great way. And he says, is the, the hammer going to boast over him who wields it? You know, this, are you really, you're the instrument, you're the tool in this case. Are you going to brag about this? I'm using you to do this. And then he tells Habakkuk that after he uses them to destroy Israel, he's going to turn around and they're going to be destroyed as well. So he, he's... Uh, uh, he is definitely in charge of them. When he sends Nebuchadnezzar to take uh, Judah captive in the very beginning of the book of Daniel, he says the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. This wasn't just Nebuchadnezzar taking over. This was him. Of course, God says to Pharaoh in Exodus 9.16, for this very purpose I raised you up to display my glory on the earth. So Pharaoh was brought up into this position by God. Uh, God not only raises up and brings down specific human leaders, he also raises up and brings down nation states and empires and cities. So he took down uh, Nineveh, according to the book of Nahum, he's very clear about that and he was going to do that. Uh, Babylon and the Babylonian Empire, we read about that in the book of Daniel chapter 5 about how the empire was taken over by that of the Medes and the Persians. Uh, we read in the book of Obadiah about Edom and their destruction, Tyre in Ezekiel 26 to 28. Uh, and then, of course, we read about all the kingdoms of the world being supplanted by the kingdom of God in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. How all the great kingdoms, the, the ones who were the empires that ruled over so much of the world, the dominant world powers, are replaced by the kingdom of God. So he put them in place. He tells Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. I have put you here. I've raised you up. And now uh, you will give way to a succession of kingdoms that will ultimately be replaced by the kingdom of God. And then, of course, there is another nation that he was very involved in and has been very involved in throughout history in bringing up and in tearing down and then uh, disciplining and all, the, uh, all those things, which is the nation of Israel. So he built them from the ground up, and then he brought them into the land, and he dealt with them in many ways politically. Uh, God raises up and brings down specific rulers, cities, nations, empires, but just because they exist does not mean that God sanctions all that they do. God's sovereignty does not excuse evil rulers. It's important to understand that. We know that God has plenty to say about rulers who do not rule well. Again, this is easy for us to go to in a place like Romans 13 or 1 Peter 2 and say, but what do we, how do we submit? Because they're evil rulers. Well, God knows that. God even uh, ex exhorts Christians to submit wherever possible without violating scripture to the edicts of even these evil rulers. But he doesn't excuse the evil rulers from what they do. They are accountable before God. So he doesn't ever excuse them, and the fact that he sovereignly put them in place doesn't excuse them any more than his sovereignty excuses our sin or our unbelief or someone failing to respond to the gospel or us not proclaiming the gospel. God's sovereignty uh, does not touch their culpability. The other thing is that God's sovereignty does not forbid us from using the means at our disposal to establish or to influence the government. And its rulers and its leaders. 
So we don't say, well, God is sovereign over this. That means that we should have no part in even worrying about determining who is going to be the next president or governor or anything like that. We should never take God's sovereignty as an excuse to not vote or anything like that. Whether you choose to do those things or not is a different matter that has a lot of other biblical things involved and a lot of other wisdom things involved and how you choose to do that. But the simple fact of God's sovereignty doesn't mean, well, God's just going to put whoever he wants in office and I just need to be okay with that and I can't and shouldn't do anything about that. The Bible doesn't take God's sovereignty in that way. God expects that along with sovereignty, his sovereignty, that we will fulfill our responsibility. We will use means and that we are free to use means to do what we think is best and what we want to do within the confines of what God allows us to do and what God commands us to do. So God's sovereignty does not forbid us using means to establish or even to influence rulers. How we do that, when we do that, whether we do that, why we do that is a different question that we'll consider from other different principles going forward. Uh, and then one more truth about God ordaining government is that God will one day bring in his own perfect government. God will one day bring in his own perfect government. I'm going to read you a few passages. Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah 2, verses 2 through 4. Now it will come about that in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem and he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. We read that there is going to be a specific person who is the ruling one in this case. Isaiah 9 Verses 6 and 7, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. We read that he is going to rule with wisdom and with perfect justice. Isaiah 11, starting in verse 1. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his mouth will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. When is this going to happen? Well, it's going to be in this setting of this promised future kingdom that God is bringing. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then he says in verse 10, Then in that day the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, 
who will stand as a signal for the peoples and his resting place will be glorious. So Jesus will rule all of the nations. We read in Psalm 2 and in Revelation 19 that he will rule them with a rod of iron. This doesn't mean that he will rule them with cruelty. It means he will rule them with absolute authority. And yes, those who rebel against him will not get away with it. But he will be completely and fully in charge. One more place where his reign is described as we close in Psalm 72. Solomon anticipates the reign of not only himself but a future king. He says in verse 8 of Psalm 72, May he also rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Verse 11, it says, Let all kings bow down before him, all nations serve him. And verse 17, May his name endure forever, may his name increase as long as the sun shines, and let men bless themselves by him, let all nations call him blessed. Uh, God is going to appoint his mediator not just as the redeemer as he has come in his first coming but as the ruler as the king the one who will come and who will reign on the earth as the perfect government authority and the one who not only is perfect in his character but the one who actually possesses that role and who is carrying out the role as the perfect government leader in the time when God brings his kingdom into the world so God is going to do this and we have this to look forward to in the meantime we got a bunch of sinners to deal with, including ourselves. And we have to understand our own hearts and how we respond to this. And we want to understand how that we respond as Christians when government isn't as perfect as it ought to be. And that's what we're going to study as we go forward. Let me pray for us as we close. God, thank you for government. Thank you that you've given us uh, so many blessings through it. We often acknowledge the faults. We often pray for corrections to those faults we pray for the souls of those who don't know you who are government leaders we will continue to ask you for that but we also want to stop now and to thank you for the many good things that you have done through it we thank you for the protection that it provides for us we thank you for the many services that it renders we thank you for the opportunity to have backing uh, that prevents people from doing wrong to us in ways that they might otherwise we thank you for the check that it provides on our own lives that, that helps us to have one more reason not to do what is evil. And we thank you that you have uh, been gracious to us in allowing us to, uh, to worship together and to live uh, a very, very free Christian life compared to what many of our fellow believers throughout time have had. And this is something that we pray for and we thank you that you've granted it and we pray you would continue to do so. God, help us as we go through this series to appreciate your gift of government, to know how to interact with it, to know what to do when it does what is wrong, and to look forward to the time when you'll bring your perfect established government into the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.